should draft all the other groups. Give them a chance to go see the world. Shift them to the open spaces. We can think of a hundred places. Let's send the platters away today. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good. How are you? Not bad. What about you, Jacob? I am doing great. It's good to hear. And we have a special guest on our podcast today. We have Dathan from Blue Jays Prospects on Instagram. He knows all about the draft and all about the Blue Jays system. And it's exactly what we're going to be starting things off with today. So we're glad to have you on here, Nathan. Thanks for having me, guys. So I guess just starting things off, obviously, like I said, you're the expert on the draft here. You're the expert on the Blue Jays system. So I, I guess we can just run through first off the Blue Jays picks and your first impressions of their picks. So we were talking before the podcast, you mentioned Nick Frazzo as a guy who stood out to you. He was drafted fourth or in the fourth round by the Blue Jays. Um, was he your favorite pick of this draft? Was he kind of the underdog guy that that you like out of this draft by the Blue Jays? Yeah, um, him and CJ Van Eyck were probably my two favorite picks. Frazzo has a really good fastball that I think's underrated and he gets a lot of a lot of extension, which is a big thing in the in the Jays system. They like pitchers with lots of extension. So uh yeah. I really like the Frazzo pick. Yeah, and I guess everyone listening, or at least for me, when I was watching this draft, pretty much the only thing I knew coming out of it was Austin Martin. You know, he's the guy who's everyone's talking about people are saying he's the next big thing um what do you think about him and him falling all the way to five to the blue jays yeah he is a he's a special talent i i had him as my number one player in the class so when i saw he fell to five i couldn't believe it the 70 grade hit tool stands out for me as as something really special coming out of the draft especially at pick five i think that it's a huge get for the jays yeah and when Like I said, when I saw him fall all the way to five, I couldn't believe it because I don't know if Bryson and Jacob, if you guys were thinking the same thing, but in my mind, it was like, okay, number one is Torkelson. Number two is Martin. Number three or four is what? Asa Lacey. And then it's a conversation about Zach Veen, Emerson Hancock. Um, I'm probably forgetting guys. Like I said, I'm not the expert on the draft, but that was like how it was shaping up in my mind. And there was no possibility that Martin makes it all the way to fifth. So I was totally shocked. Were you guys, Bryson and Jacob, were you feeling the same type of thing watching it? Yeah, when I was watching it, uh, Nathan, I don't know if you listened to our podcast last week, but I gave a few names out that I thought were likely scenarios for uh, where the Jays would approach this year, what, uh, what would be available for them at the fifth spot. And again, uh, the the biggest names and that Mark just mentioned uh, were most of them. You know, Zach Veen. I even thought Austin Mayer uh, was a likely uh, candidate. I'm sure you, like you said, he was your number one player uh, in your class um, when you did your pre rankings. Um, I just I was I was thinking about maybe why he would drop. Um, I'm sure you've seen this um, based off of the research and what we know based off off of uh, Austin Martin is, and that is he is a Scott Boris client. So do you think this may have had an impact on maybe him falling a few spots just because, uh, you know, after his rookie deal is up, then you know, you're going to have to start dealing with Scott Boris or even before a rookie deals, uh, a rookie agreement's reached. Do you think maybe that had something to do with him falling with teams just not wanting to have anything to do with Scott Boris? I do think that had a part with Baltimore passing on him, especially because they really wanted impact prep players in the second and third and fourth rounds that I think with the amount of money Martin was going to ask for, I think that did play a part. Yeah, it's, it certainly makes sense. And, um, you know, I've been listening to, I'm sure you guys have about, you know, Ross Atkins doing just his post-draft interview and he pretty much just alluded to the fact that they were going to pick the best player available. And I guess it's pretty believable um, from what he was saying based off of what we saw of how he was available. And I guess Scott Boris is just something that comes along with, um, having to deal with Austin Martin, uh, we know. I think he's around the same age as Bo Bichette. I know he played with Bo Bichette previously. Um, where do you see Austin Martin potentially playing um, once he reaches the major leagues? Just because uh, he, he is registered as a shortstop, but we know he can play other positions in the infield, and we know he spent time this spring uh, playing in the outfield. I personally see him playing 
center field when once he's um, called up. But of course, that can change. There's other scenarios. Uh, an example would be maybe Kevin Biggio playing center field instead, someone moving over to second base. But uh, the one thing is that's noted is Austin Martin comes with a lot of position flexibility. So where do you see him uh, playing? I know it's hard to predict now, but I guess based off of what we know now, even though a few years can mean a lot of uh, change from where we are now. Yeah, I agree. I like him in center field or even left field. I think the arm projects well in either of those spots. And I think third base is a good option too. He has really good hands at third and I think his arm strong enough to play at third too. So uh, really it's going to come down to where the Jays need him to play rather than where he's best fit. I think, I think he'll be solid in the field at any of those three positions, but uh, I I really like him in center field. I think the athleticism plays well out there. See, I I don't know. I kind of think one of the, or part of the scouting report for him mentioned how he was very athletic and fast. And I think, I mean, center field's obviously, you know, you got to be fast. You got to be able to take charge there. I, I think he would definitely be fit there rather than in the corner outfields. But also I think maybe the hot corner third base would probably be a great spot for him. And now I know a lot of people are going to say, well, Guerrero is the third baseman. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe shifting him over to first base would probably be the better thing because obviously you don't want to lose his line, uh, his bat, uh, and I don't think you want to just have a primary DH. I mean, we've seen what that can do for the Blue Jays in years past with uh, Edwin and Kendrys Morales. Um, but yeah, I think third base. If me personally, I think third base is probably the best option for them. But hey, center field I think is a you know a really good position for them and. I think one thing that will do for the Blue Jays is kind of get rid of the massive amounts of outfielders that they have because, you know, they have uh, Lourdes Gurriel, Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez, but they have like four or five other guys that are trying to fight for these positions. And I think if you just have one guy that you know is going to play there in a few years, then it kind of uh, gets rid of some of the confusion and the uncertainty going forward. Yeah, I I definitely agree that he fits at second base and moving Biggio to the outfield could definitely be a good possibility. You mentioned another guy in this draft who you kind of picked up on and it was Blue Jays second round pick which is CJ Van Eyck. They took him out of Florida State University um, and kind of a 50 grade overall pitcher according to MLB.com. He has a fastball, curveball, changeups, tops out at 95, struggled with command in 2020, but the Blue Jays um, liking him for um, the the stuff that he has and the pitcher that he can be. And you said on him earlier that you love his curveball and it was really solid pick by the Blue Jays. Why is this a guy that the Blue Jays like and, and what do you think he can become um, either in the Blue Jays system or in the majors? Yeah, I, I really like his curveball. It's a swing and miss pitch. He can control it really well. He controls his curveball better than his fastball, which is not something you see every day. And I think his changeup's very underrated. It plays really nicely off his fastball, and he didn't have to use it very much this season and at the end of last season. It was really just a fastball-curveball mix, but uh, I think his changeup's good. One of the things I saw is that he doesn't have that high of a ceiling, which I don't really agree with. If he can develop his changeup a little more, I, I think his ceiling's decently high. And, and also, I think there's room for some velocity growth with his fastball. He really doesn't use his legs too much in his delivery, and I saw some scouts talking about the Jays being able to get a little more out of the fastball, which I think was interesting. Yeah, some of these guys with the Blue Jays, of course, we like to talk about, at least for me, from first impressions with the draft, we like to talk about how great these players are going to be. But we also, as you know, rounds um, go on, we like to pick on these players and see what their weaknesses are. So it's interesting that his command is weakness. And as I mentioned, just topping out at 95 miles an hour. But it seems like you can teach... To some extent, velocity, you know, there are programs now, driveline baseball, stuff like that, to get pitcher velocity up, but there are some things, like you mentioned, good movement out of his curveball, off-speed pitches, some things seem like they're harder to teach, so it's nice to see that Van Eyck has 
what you might usually consider as something that is harder to teach um, instead of something that is you know, um, easier or more one-dimensional in his fastball. And, of course, being a complete pitcher relies on your off-speed pitches. So it's nice to see that he does have those pitches. Um, the Blue Jays also took Trent Palmer in the third round. Um, they took him out of, uh, also out of Florida, Jacksonville University. And I guess now we've talked a little bit about all the picks, of course. In the fourth round, we said Nick Frasso, and then the Blue Jays taking Zach Britton, a familiar name, in the fifth round. Uh, but I want to talk about the Blue Jays' approach in this draft because they took all university players, I believe all of them are 21 years old, and three pitchers, two position players, and the Blue Jays planned, as far as we know, on taking a pitcher in the first round until Martin fell to them. So what do you think of the, the Blue Jays' approach in this draft, given that they've focused entirely on college prospects and mostly on pitching? Yeah, I did um, expect them to take a college pitcher in round one, but uh, with Martin falling, you have to take him. But uh, other than that, I think their approach was solid. They got three pitchers who have big fastballs and the ability to spin breaking balls is something the Blue Jays really like as well. So I think that was part of their approach. And uh, their last pick, Zach Britton, I think he has a lot of potential to develop some power in the Jays system. His underlining numbers were pretty solid at Louisville this past season. So I think there's some room to grow for him. I really liked their three pitchers in the mid-rounds. Yeah, you can... You know, uh, in terms of drafting Martin as he fell down the board, you can probably imagine, you know, as maybe when he dropped down three or four, the anxiety and then the adrenaline uh, pumping through the Jays front office that, hey, you know, we may have a chance to actually draft arguably the best player in this entire draft class. And to ask further or to add on to Mark's question, just because of their approach, um, you know, like Mark said, they were, they were focusing on pitching, but I guess they make up for it after getting Martin with um, the middle of their picks all uh, pitchers. So three straight pitchers and then they end off with Zach Britton. So to, to add on to Mark's question, not only was uh, their approach to take college uh, players, which was probably expected because of the rounds were so, were so short this year, but um, in terms of the rounds being shorter, you go, you go from a regular season of 40 rounds to five rounds. So in terms of the Blue Jays approach, um, how, like, how, how do you grade them based off of this approach? Because we all know this is unprecedented times. We know every, you know, North American sports are still, are still missing right now. Hopefully they're back within the month. Uh, it seems like we're going in the right direction for that. But, uh, in terms of this with no scouting at all this year, no minor league season, likely, even if major league baseball comes back at some point in July, um, you know, the Jays kind of, I, I kind of worded it la last week saying, they were kind of going in semi-blind. It was just something that they weren't t totally sure of because of the lack of availability to scout these players. But um, in terms of their approach, I guess, you know, they even Shane Farrell came on this year to help them out. Um, I'm sure they did the best they can. And I was pretty I was pretty much saying how, regardless of how this looks in a few years, you got to give, uh, you know, the Jays front office as well as the other 29 teams' this front office some credit for this just because of the lack of availability they had to, you know, scout on these players. So how, how do you grade the, the draft this year and, you know, how difficult it was to select these players uh, in these only, you know, this limited five-round draft? I definitely think it was difficult for them to target very many prep players with not a lot of information on them. And that's probably the reason why they went five college players was just lack of information on some players yeah you don't see um as you know from previous years you know players being drafted out of high school um i guess that turns out for them now if teams want to maybe sign them as undrafted free agents how how active do you think the jays would be in that process of signing undrafted players yeah um i read a report today that the jays are expected to be a big team in the undrafted free agent market this sunday so it's going to be interesting to see what position they target. I know first base is a position of need in the system, along with maybe some outfield if there's any talent available. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. Yeah, and all these teams are really 
like obviously there there still is normally in the draft after you know the 40 rounds there is talent left that you can sign as undrafted free agents we were talking to Chris Rowley a few weeks ago who was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Blue Jays but it's so different this year because there's obviously so much more talent that has been undrafted but also a different perspective on things from potential draftees from players who might be signing with teams because you can wait another year and the odds of you being drafted are pretty high if you were a good talent this year that maybe just missed the draft and you could get a big payday next year instead of the, the I think it's the $20,000 standard amount that um, players will be signed to if they sign as undrafted free agents this year so certainly changes the calculus of it um, and it's very new, a very different situation for the Blue Jays and really any team. Um, and not a lot of teams are comfortable in this situation, but it does allow for teams to find some sort of market inefficiency. It gives the opportunity for teams to, you know, try out new things, try to to break the system somewhat and find a diamond in the rough that um, you might not normally have the opportunity to find in a normal situation, whether it be a 40-man draft or, uh, you know, a standard draft in previous years. All right, well, I think that wraps up our draft preview. Is there anything you'd like to add that maybe something in particular that stood out to you um, that a lot of people haven't been talking about in this draft that you want to make sure people understand or, or know about the, the, the way the Blue Jays drafted this year? I don't think so. Uh, I think it was pretty straightforward with what the Jays wanted to do. Okay, well, thank you very much again, Nathan, for joining us. You can follow him at Blue Jays Prospects on Instagram, and he has great breakdowns, not just of the draft, but also of the rest of the Blue Jays system. So thanks again for joining us, Nathan. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, well, moving on to the next thing on our docket for today, we have the Yankees. Um, We've just been hearing earlier today that they've – there's a, a document from 2017. It was a letter, I believe, between the team and the league. I I don't even know all the details of this because it's just emerging. But Bryson, you seem very wrapped up in all of this and very energetic about it. What can you tell us about the news that is coming out right now? Well, as the great Michael Scott would say, oh, how the turntables. And I was reading this this morning with... I was, I was ultimately shocked because pretty much what happened was a judge has officially ruled that a letter from uh, Rob Manfred addressing the 2007 Yankees sign sealing investigation must be unsealed. So, I mean, based off of what we know it's supposed to be uh, about sign stealing, and this came from 2015 to 2017, so this is ultimately developing, and it's kind of shock. I mean, it, I wouldn't say it's shocking because, like I, we've discussed so many times of how much we think other teams cheat without being caught, but... It's just so ironic that, you know, the Astros, who were cheating for multiple years and, you know, arguably the reason why they beat the Yankees this past postseason in the ALCS, well, now the Yankees are being ultimately investigated or, you know, people think there should be an investigation, including myself. I think you should be looking at this uh, just as how the MLB looked at the Astros situation. Uh, and the Yankees were apparently doing it themselves, and I don't know how they were doing it. I don't know if they were banging trash cans or decoding signs as much as the Astros. I think it's a. I think it had something to do with something with Apple watches. But it's 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 really interesting to see this because, you know, again, it's it's ironic with the Astros players. And I've I've spent all day reading Astros players tweeting about this. Um, you know, Carlos Correa has been tweeting, Instagramming. Alex Bregman has uh, Lance McCullers Jr. Josh Reddick. You know, just funny gifts about all of this. And this is this could be big news depending on how this letter or what this letter contains officially. But um, yeah, I, I mean, if if the details come out and it does um, involve sign stealing, you know, I think this should definitely be considered um, to be investigated, just like how the MLB handled the Astros situation. But quite shocking and, again, very ironic because the Astros ultimately did this to the Yankees and now the Yankees are being investigated for something that has gone on for the past couple of years. So who knows what the future holds for the Yankees within the next couple of weeks, I would say, uh, because, you know, the, the the letter will be unsealed sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's it seems like we're dealing with a pandemic on actual health, like a real pandemic. But in baseball, there's a cheating pandemic going on right now because it seems like every team 
is um, just being, you know, not just thrown under the bus, but actually involved in all of this. It's the Astros, and then it's the Yankees, and it's the Red Sox, and I think I would pinpoint it down to the fact that there's all this new technology flooding into baseball, and not just baseball, but real life, and it gives teams the opportunity to try this out, and teams have slowly been um, thinking about the actual impacts that this can have for them on the field and um, thinking about how it can help them, and they've been slowly turning to it as a resource for them. And I think we've talked about it before, but once you know that one team is doing it, two teams are doing it now, potentially three teams are doing it, although we did kind of already know the Yankees were somewhat involved beforehand, it's like, I don't know where it stops. I don't know how many teams are involved in all of this, and it's frustrating. I'm not as frustrated with the Yankees as I am with the the Astros, because the Astros won the World Series, and we know all the details of their very extensive and very entrenched sign-stealing system, but it's it's frustrating. Yeah, ever since 2020 started, we've been talking more about owners and players arguing and sign stealing more than actual baseball so you know it it has become funny and interesting and somewhat frustrating like you just mentioned so you know hopefully this ends soon but you know it's going to be interesting to see how if there's a season this year how teams cheat this year if they ever want to do some sort of sign stealing with no noise no crowds or no fans in the stands but yeah you know it's you know it's it's getting ridiculous on these negotiation topics and these sign ceiling topics, and we're not even talking about the actual Blue Jays in particular or anything to do with baseball. But Jacob, I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, it's really frustrating to watch. And I mean, there's so much bad news about baseball already right now. And we'll talk a little bit about that later that, you know, just adding another thing to the the entire kerfuffle that we're in right now and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, another good team has also cheated. Um, so it, it's really frustrating that this is the situation that we find ourselves in. And I think we have to go back to the punishment of the Astros in the first place, because we talked about it on the podcast. It wasn't enough. You know, if you give the team a choice of a winning the world series and, you know, taking the, whatever they lost two draft picks in this year's draft and their fine of $5 million and the suspension of their manager and general manager. If you give a team the choice of taking that in turn to win a World Series, any team is going to take that. Like, it's not even a question. So ultimately, the punishment that the Astros got was not enough to encourage teams to play the game the right way. And because of that, I think we're going to see teams cheating in the future unless the punishments grow and grow and grow. And ultimately, we've talked about it before, but I think Major League Baseball should have taken away the championship from the Astros. And if they did, I think that would have been enough of a deterrent so that teams would not cheat in the future. But right now, I don't think the punishment that the Astros got in itself from Major League Baseball was enough to deter teams from cheating in the future. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, this uh, sign-stealing scandal and this whole cheating scandal in general, I don't think that it's going to stop here. I'm, I was a little bit surprised to see that the Yankees were doing this, although now, after hearing this, I, I can't help but wonder how many other teams were involved in this or involved in their own way. And I think, honestly, this is ruining the integrity of sports in general. You know, yes, there are preparations that can be done beforehand for a, a, any sporting event. I think baseball is probably one of the most analytically involved sports just because of, you know, pitchers. Uh, everyone throws different pitches and different signs and whatnot. But I think the, the way that this has kind of become, well, we're going to watch uh, videos before the game to see what the starter or the opposing starter can throw against us to now we are going to, you know, have all Apple watches or bang trash cans or just kind of turn baseball into a circus is, is ruining the integrity of the game. And I honestly, I think the only way for this to actually stop is, you know, maybe some cracking down on rules where you have anything on your wrist, then you're automatically suspended or whatever. Uh, maybe that sounds too harsh, but I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely 
it's not good for the sport, especially in a sport where, you, you know, we've kind of seen the interest in it go down over the last few years, at least in my opinion, I've been seeing that around the people I interact with. I think to now introduce to them that a lot of big teams, big names like the Yankees are involved in some type of cheating. Well, it'll be, well, why am I going to watch baseball if, you know, nothing's really going on that should be. It's just a bunch of people cheating. When it comes to the the punishment, like you said, uh, when we look at the Astros when uh, we all agree, uh, like we like you mentioned, Mark, how we don't think it was enough. And even if you look at the Red Sox punishment, it wasn't even close to what the Astros um, were punished for, even though we know a lot more about the Astros uh, situation than the Red Sox situation. But the one thing that's both related with those is you know, the suspensions of Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch. And if it were up to me, or if I was a GM, and if it comes from any baseball fan, you know, I personally believe that both of those people will, will manage again someday. It doesn't matter, you know, they won't go back to their original teams. Uh, very unlikely, and I don't think it'll happen. But, uh, you know, if I were a team and hiring a manager, you know, I would I would be tempted to hire them. So in terms of a precedent, Jacob, I think the one thing you have to look at is, you know, how long does it take before you have to set a new precedent? Because with this Yankee situation that's developing, you know, let, let's just say there's an investigation that's uh, conducted and then uh, punishments are given out. You can't you can't just significantly up the, the punishments for the Yankees themselves, because if you think about it, you have to give it uh, some sort of based off of the, you know, um, the amount or how much they cheated or, you know, different ways they used. You know, you, you can't you can't just up it from the the Astros situation you you know if you're the Yankees you're looking back on it saying okay well at the worst we're gonna lose a draft pick you know we're we're worth billions of dollars who cares five million dollars is worth five bucks for us um who I don't know about suspensions to maybe Aaron Boone I don't know it again it depends on who was involved and how much um cheating was actually done in those couple years from 2015 to 2017 but you can't just up the suspension for the Yankees it's just too close of a gap from a timeline, in my opinion. If you want to set a new precedent, maybe you wait a few, maybe you wait like a couple years, I think, before then you 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 say, you come out after a couple years and you you set a precedent. And like you said, does it include, you know, waving or stripping teams of titles? Maybe. Um, but it, it all depends on how much they want to go with this. But in terms of a Yankees punishment, even if it comes down to it, you know, I don't see it going anywhere close to an Astros punishment or anything less... Um, than a Red Sox punishment. I just, I don't see it going anything further than that, unfortunately. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the Major League Baseball set a terrible precedent with how they handled the Astros cheating scandal. Because like you said, a World Series championship in exchange for, you know, a couple million dollars and a few suspensions, anybody would take that. I I mean, anybody with, you know, integrity would would not take that. But I guess what we're seeing here is some people don't have that integrity. But I think, you know, say the Minnesota Twins just pulling a random team out. Say we hear that they are they were also cheating last year, or in a couple of years we hear that they're cheating. I think if they were to get a worse punishment, then they could argue that, well, why are you giving us, a, you know, three times what the Astros did? And kind of setting this precedent of, well, you know, you cheat, but you kind of get a slap on the wrist is going to screw things up in the future because then – like I said, people are going to com- compare what other teams did and the severity of what they did and compare the punishment they got to what this other team is getting. And I think you, uh, someone's going to get screwed over, I think, and someone's going to, some team is going to get a, a punishment that they feel is unfair. But I think that honestly has to happen if if any of this is ever brought up again, anybody cheats, because... You know, they screwed up with the original precedent, but you have to, you know, somewhere down the line say, you know what, actually, we don't want any more cheating. If you do it again, you know, you lose a World Series championship or, I don't know, you lose, you know, most of the players have to like forfeit their salary or whatever they do. They want to do something so that, you know, this does not happen again because cheating just, what's the point of playing if your opponent knows everything that you're going to do? And it's, it's just, it's not fair. It ruins the integrity of sports. Yeah. And just one last point I want to bring up on this before we move to our next topic. This, I was just reading a little bit more about what's actually happening in this Yankees situation, and it was a letter from the league to the team, which I didn't totally know beforehand, but, and the the plaintiffs in this case are saying that the letter will reveal further 
sign stealing than any of us knew publicly. So there's another conversation to be had about the frustrations with the league in all of this because they're investigating themselves. Like there, there's no accountability really for the teams. The, the, the owners are the ones who support the commissioner, Rob Manfred and Rob Manfred is supposed to be on the side of the owners and the owners don't want to talk about sign stealing because of course it's going to hurt their bottom line and hurt their public image. So it's just, it, it's kind of a joke the way that the system works. And I don't really know that there's anything you can do to fix it. I don't even know if the Players Association really wants to have this black eye on their reputation either with sign stealing. So, like, the only way to fix it is, you know, investigations by newspapers and media entities. So it's a frustrating situation that Major League Baseball can just, you know, brush this under the rug and just say, okay, we're not going to say anything about it. Until a big news organization like The Athletic comes out with a big report about the Astro sign-stealing scandal with a big whistleblower in the form of Mike Fears. Like, it's really frustrating that Major League Baseball can just ignore it until they have to be held accountable for it. All right, well, we'll move to our next topic, which is baseball in Toronto. Bryson, this is another one that you're very passionate about. And I can't totally understand why, but uh, let's hear it out. Okay. I'm just saying, and I, I know I've been texting you guys, and you guys are look, you guys are probably reading it like, you know, I got, I'm someone with two heads. Um, look, I'm just saying, I think the, the Jays and I think the federal government, before any, anything to do with ruling it out, I think you have to consider, just consider it. It doesn't matter if it's in September or sorry, August or September, consider at some point this year of baseball in Toronto. Now, look, I know there's going to be no fans in the stadium. I understand, but I just think that, you know, it, it, it personally uh, benefits um, me personally because I just, I just feel better about it. And I think it would be, I think it'd be cool for it to actually happen. But Look, I, I don't know if it's really going to happen. Based off of these COVID numbers in Ontario, um, it appears that this week was good. Again, I'm no doctor, but just looking at graphs and uh, traje- uh, projections, it, it seems to be good. You know, yesterday on Friday, June 12th, it was below 200, the, the growth rates down, and et cetera. But, you know, the, we know the NHL is looking at hub cities. Uh, they're going to do two hub cities for when they return, and they want to they play in Canada for at least one of the locations. And they said that um, the only way to do it is if the federal government can maybe waive the 14 day quarantine rule and probably do something else, maybe more like constant temperature checks and daily testing. And I think that, you know, if the NHL and the federal government can make an agreement, you know, why, why can't the, why can't the MLB be considered for it? And the only thing I'd argue against that is, well, if you're looking at the NHL situation, they're going to be in a bubble where they don't leave unless you're eliminated. Well, in baseball, teams are coming and going, including the Jays. But I just think it's something that, you know, it's a conversation to be had, and I think it's a conversation that needs to be addressed before we rule anything out. Um, I just, I think it'd be cool. You know, I, I don't know how much um, fear there is or, you know, what really Prime Minister Trudeau really thinks about it. I don't even know how many, how much conversations they've had. We do know the Jays have, um, they have backup plans. They have, um, they have backup plans to play in Dunedin, uh, even Ross Atkins revealed other MLB stadiums, uh, maybe even Buffalo. He just he mentioned Buffalo, but it seems the likely scenario would be Dunedin. But who knows if it's actually going to happen? It's me being the optimistic side of me. But I think if numbers continue to improve, and I think if the if Ontario continues to move in, you know, further stages of reopening, as you know, most of the province is now in stage two, which means more things were open and social gatherings are extended. Uh, I just I think it's something to consider. I know it's going to be rare, and I know a lot of uh, problems are ahead of it, but you know, if the NHL can make a deal with the federal government, why can't the MLB or the Jays try and get something done? At least try without um, completely ruling it out uh, without some sort of agreement. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Don't just completely rule it out. Um, this week, actually, I, I looked at a graph. I, if I remember correctly, Ontario actually had less than two hundred COVID cases each day. Uh, on Friday, I think it was like 182 or something like that, you know, so they're definitely going down um, com- compared to, I think, two weeks ago or a week ago where it was like 400 cases per day. So, you know, this is definitely a good thing. Uh, 
we'll see, I guess, in a week's time after the after all the protests, if something happens, if there's a spike, hopefully there isn't. But, you know, if the cases are going down, then I think, you know, it's something to consider. However, I think they need to stay down for a consistent period of time in order to allow teams to come in and out of Canada. Because, like you mentioned, if there's no fans, then the question is, well, then what's the problem with it? But if players are coming, you know, whole organizations really are coming in and out of Canada, then, you know, I can see people kind of raising some suspicion about what's going to happen and if that's going to really have an impact on the number of cases. And I uh, like you did mention the NHL. I think that is also interesting. However, I think the reason why the NHL would kind of be allowed to to do it is just because of the hub cities where it's, you know, you have, uh, I think it's 12 teams coming to Canada or Toronto or Vancouver, one of the two cities. Um, and then they just kind of stay there and then they leave uh, as they get eliminated. So compared to baseball where it's, you know, the Blue Jays are the only Canadian team. So they're, they're either in Toronto or they're out of it half of the time. And, you know, a new American or a new group of American players are coming into Canada every once in a while. So it's definitely, you know, like you said, it's something to be, to consider. Um, I think the biggest issue would be the quarantine because, you know, why are you going to sit and, you know, isolate yourself for two weeks just to play three to four games uh, and then leave, you know, so that's, that's probably the biggest deterrent, obviously, besides the health, you know, you got to keep people safe, but I, I don't know. I think, you know, it's definitely something to consider, but I think it's probably too, maybe this year, I think it won't happen just because, you know, I think they want to wait for the cases to go to go down and stay down just before they, you know, they reopen. Because I think this week they, or they I, sh- I say they, but the health officials allowed uh, the social gatherings to in Ontario to go from five to ten people. And aside from the, the greater Toronto area, they're starting to open up businesses and uh, barbershops, all that stuff. So I think, you know, as these phases are are, you know, as they unfold, I think that that would probably be the best way to watch and see what happens because you don't want to open up the entire province all of a sudden because then we'll just be back uh, where we were in April. But yeah, I think if if this if the number of cases go down, they stay down, and the quarantine is is lifted, then I think why not? I'm I'm not against seeing baseball in the Sky Dome, even if you know people don't go there. It'd just be nice to to see the place on TV. Yeah, before Mark, before you add on, um, of course it would be, and I'm not saying you start the season in Toronto. You know, who, I'm I'm just saying that they got to consider it in all possibilities. And the other point I want to make is cases in Ontario compared to Florida are completely different. Uh, Florida cases are now spiking in the state as well with other states like Texas and Arizona, where you're seeing upwards of a thousand new cases a day. While you know, life in Florida is pretty much based off of videos I've seen. Obviously. I don't live there and none of us do, but it just seems like COVID-19 is something in the past uh, for them. You know, people are walking around, not distancing. It's pretty much been like that ever since uh, COVID-19 became a pandemic. But the other thing I want to consider is if cases in Florida continue to spike and Ontario continues to drop, would it not be considered safer to play in Ontario? And that's the other thing I want to look at. And, you know, what comes with it? If you if the government really gives an, a green light on this, you know, are, are players supposed to be locked down in hotel rooms even if they come into Toronto or are they allowed to somewhat go out and that's the problem uh, with this whole thing because the symptoms can develop of upwards of what two weeks after you actually get exposed to it and if you don't know about it then then it can possibly you know infect a number of people so I think there needs to be some sort of guideline uh, nailed down for players uh, once they come into the city that hey you, you you can't really go out this isn't a regular summer where you can spend an evening or a day out depending on the time of the game uh, in the city. But the other thing you, I, I would argue is that where would people want to go out regardless, like anywhere in, including the United States with other than uh, peaceful protests, which I'm fully support. But other than that, you know, why would you want to go out? Why would you want to go out so much to possibly put yourself at greater risk? So it comes with a lot of pros and cons. But the, the one thing I do want you guys to consider as well is the cases are kind of the opposite in terms of Ontario and Florida, where Dunedin is, and that would likely be where they would start. But Ontario is going down while Florida is going up. So that's the 
the last thing I want you guys to consider before you disagree with me. I mean, all the different jurisdictions are doing different things. Like, the Canadian government is handling this a lot differently than the U.S. government. So, I think that's the primary difference that we see, even though cases are declining in Ontario and as you just said, a lot lower than Florida. And Florida's not being very responsible with the way that they're um, handling their, um, you know, social distancing measures and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't really care where they play. As long as they play, I think it'd be awesome to see them at the Rogers Center. But ultimately, like I said, I don't really care. It doesn't make that much of a difference for me seeing them play in Florida. And if they can play longer in Florida if it's easier logistically for things to work out in terms of 14-day quarantine or whatever, then I'm all for it. And on the same vein as this, I actually saw, because I live in New Hampshire, where the New Hampshire Fisher Cats play the AA team for the Blue Jays, and they have their stadium, Northeast Dental, Delta Dental Stadium. It's a mouthful. But there was a tweet from a local reporter who said that there's a possibility that the Blue Jays could play their season even in double A at the Fisher Cat Stadium, which is like a 20, 30 minute drive from my house. So I would love that because it would mean that they're nearby. And if, I don't know, if, if the fans are allowed in the stadium, eventually I could watch the games. But um, yeah, it's ultimately, I don't really care where they play as long as they are playing and they're doing it safely and eventually hopefully fingers crossed there's an agreement between the players association and the owners so that we can get to that point i don't know i just think it'd be cool i I think it would be cool for them to play where they're supposed to play it's a comfort zone for them um i'm I'm sure dunedin is too anyway but you know based off of previous seasons they spend more time in toronto which is a no which is obvious but yeah who knows what the future holds and look uh deal or no deal with the union and players, uh, or sorry, union and players, uh, the union and owners, there's going to be, we, we, it appears that there's going to be a baseball season in a month's time and a month's time in COVID in the COVID world is a long time because we could be at a completely different point next month. You know, God forbid we're seeing increases in cases again in Ontario or wherever you, uh, you live, whoever's listening and for you guys, but, or you can, it can be even better. Um, you know, I know, I've, what I've seen based off of the the rest of the, the world, uh, New Zealand's the first country to actually declare that they're COVID-19 free and they have zero cases. Their borders are closed, which will they, which will is obviously smart for them to continue to do until there's, I guess the, the rest of the, the world's COVID free, but it was just cool to see, um, you know, rugby's their sport over there in uh, New Zealand. It was cool to see fans return full capacity, no restrictions, no masks, no social distancing, uh, nobody freaking out that someone's beside them. They just wanted to watch rugby, which is their primary sport of interest. And it was just cool to see. And hopefully we get to that point sooner rather than later, whether it's because of a vaccine or because of us following the right guidelines in Canada. And um, hopefully it somewhat gets better in the United States. But again, like you, Mark, you mentioned, the United States is completely different in terms of what they're handling. Um, another state that's opened up is Las Vegas. You know, there's people, I don't know if you guys have seen that video, but there's somebody smoking a cigarette in a Las Vegas casino with their mask on. So that was interesting to see. And other than that, it's just, it's, it's, it's all different for everybody, but who knows where we are in a month. It could be good and God forbid it could be worse, which we don't want. But yeah, again, I guess it just, we just want a season at this point. Like you said, you don't really care, Mark, but I just have this fetish for some reason where I have to see them in Toronto for myself, for me to feel better about it. But who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And I'll go back to what I said a few months ago. The Blue Jays are entirely all of Major League Baseball. We could just play in a different country. And I'm sure a lot of players would be more willing to play in New Zealand than they would be in a place like South Korea. So I'm I'm still saying that. You move the season to New Zealand. You could play with fans. You don't have to do all these restrictions. You could play for however many games. And I'm sure lots of fans will come to the games there. In New Zealand, so you get fan revenue. I'm saying it's a good plan. But in terms of plans and agreements, uh, I hate to talk about it because it's just so annoying to say the same thing every single week on this podcast. But the Players Association, Major League Baseball, going back and forth again, 
Now Major League Baseball has proposed a 70-game season with, I think it's 80% or 70% prorated salaries, which I should note is the exact same amount of money the players would be getting if they're playing 50 games. So I don't know why they would want to play 70 games if they're just increasing their risk, not just from the pandemic, but also to injuries. And at the same time, they're 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 making the same amount of money. So uh it's so frustrating. So frustrating. <laughs> yeah, you actually took my point because I was looking at that in terms of the pay, but I'm gonna start things off before I get to that and say, Commissioner Rob Manfred, I know you're not listening, but you know, from my perspective and from Randall Gritchick's perspective, which we saw last night, it's time to not waste any more time. Implement the forty eight game season because it is not happening. I'm gonna guarantee it now. There will be no agreement between the owners and the players. I think it's a, I think we're beating around a dead bush now, and I think you're only wasting time on the calendar. And in terms of a start date, I think the earliest they're looking at now is July 14th. So that's, what, a month and a day away? And this is something that you're going to have to do. Players want f- prorated salaries. I'm not going to talk about this too much because we know they want 100% prorated salaries. The owners continue to not offer that. So what else is there to discuss other than that's not what the players want? You said they're making just as much money playing 72 games on 80 to 85 per rated salaries rather than 100% on a 48-game season. Why go out for another 20 games for free and risk injury and potential exposure to COVID-19? It's pretty simple. Implement a 48-game season unless you want to offer more games with 100% per rated salaries. Because if you do that, I guarantee you the union will accept that because that's what they want. They want more games at pro full per rated salaries and the owners don't. So that's as simple as it gets from my book. But I think it's time to implement this 48-game season. I know the deadline for this horrible offer is supposed to extend on Sunday, which is tomorrow. And Rob Manfred said at the draft how it was supposed to lean towards the players' favor. And fortunately, I fell for it again and got excited for nothing. So, you know, whatever day it is, Monday, Tuesday, implement the 48-game season. Tell the players when to report. Lay out the guidelines properly for safety and play ball. Because, like, like you said, Mark... It's frustrating, and you're only wasting time now on the calendar because, yeah, you're just wasting time. So you hope to play as many games as possible, but it appears it's going to be 48 games, which is less than a third of a season. It is a sprint, and I think Blue Jays-wise, it is great news in terms of potentially making the playoffs, which also comes with expanded uh, playoffs. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, we just we want to see some type of some t- something, you know, We've seen the NHL and the NBA have a much easier time coming to an agreement. Uh, keep in mind, they really just had to do the playoffs. But, you know, the MLB seems to get nothing done. And every time somebody uh, presents their their case or presents something to the opposite side, it just seems like it's not what they want or it's just it's it makes my head spin, honestly, sometimes. I just want to see baseball at this point. Yeah, MLB is running itself into the ground. Like, they just seem to be wanting to, like, tomahawk this season and, like, pretty much committing suicide this season because they don't want to make a deal. They don't want to budge at all. And I don't know if you've seen the the tweets going around, but people saying, like, MLB offered half a dozen donuts and then the Players Association said no, so they offered six donuts, the exact same thing. And the Players Association said no, so then they (laughs) offered two sets of three donuts. And the Players Association said no. And then they offered three sets of two donuts. Like MLB and the owners are just offering the same thing over and over and over again, just rehashing and redistributing the money. But it doesn't make a difference. The only thing that the Players Association is going to accept because they agreed to it at the start of the season is fully prorated salaries. And the fact that that can't get through to the owners and they seem willing to run not just this season, but the entirety of Major League Baseball into the ground for, you know, 10 more years for fans to fully trust the teams and the owners and the players again. It's so frustrating to watch day after day after day. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen Andrew McCutcheon's tweets, but he just describes it with one word, LOL. So so we, you know, he's done that twice now in the past week. And, you know, I really hope I'm wrong because in this case, you know, I hate being wrong. Obviously, everyone hates to be wrong. But in this case, I want to be wrong. You know, I can't believe I'm even giving it a sort of window. I'll I'll say 1% that they make some sort of agreement. But, you know, we're getting to the point now where 
Manfred's gonna have no choice. There's no other time. There's no. There's there's no other time now to wait another week of completely, uh, you know, complete negotiations that go nowhere. So I'm thinking Wednesday at the latest is when you have to make the announcement. Uh, 48 games, announce the schedules, the report dates, all of that. That's easy. That's something that they can figure out quick. But it's it's not happening. I just I I don't know why the owners continue to offer less than 100% prorated salaries when the union pretty much said that's all they're taking because again prorated salaries to begin with is a pay cut. So you're you're asking them to take a pay cut and then on top of that another pay cut. And you know I guess they think that guaranteeing more money if the playoffs are canceled is something that they would budge on. It's not implement the 48 game season because hopefully this is the last week we talk about it and hopefully next week the announcement of the 48 game schedule will be a release so we can finally actually talk about Blue Jays predictions and maybe there'll be some sort of schedule that comes out by then yeah it's so frustrating to watch this and I just hope something gets done and I said this on in our messages and I mean don't call me a traitor but I think Tony Clark the head of the MLBPA is doing a horrible job I also think that the owners are obviously doing a horrible job, but it's just there are so many underlying issues between the owners and the Players Association. Like, this all started with a pandemic, but it's not just a pandemic. There was underlying fault lines that were ready to burst open before this whole thing started, and the Players Association and the owners were already knocking heads, and this has just given them the opportunity to... To, to declare an all-out war. And it's so frustrating to watch day after day after day. But we'll be back here next week, and we'll probably talk about the exact same thing next week because that's what the owners and the the Tony Clark are requiring us to do. But, uh, yeah. So, on that cheerful note, I think we'll wrap up our podcast for today. Thank you for listening and for sticking around through our frustrations and Thank you to Bryson and Jacob and Nathan for joining us on this podcast. As always, you can rate and review Section 138 on iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Section138Pod. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Stay away from your draft board, too.